the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download and listen to for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week my special guest is gardening writer and broadcaster Jeff Hodge. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from tadpoles to courgettes and pears. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Jeff, it's a warm welcome to the programme. And since things have been a little bit milder lately, to put it mildly, (laughs) it has been warm this week, it's a great time to get started on gardening tasks. I think people often sort of wait for weather like this, don't they? And then suddenly they're out in the garden and it's time to get on. And there's lots to be getting on with at this time of year. So I'm I'm forward Come planning on. to the summer. Summer already? Summer already, yeah, of course. And uh, we all love our gardens to be full of colour during the summer. And, you know, not all of us have the facilities and, and everything to, to grow things like, you know, your petunias and your lobelia, which, mm. you know, need warmth. But now is the perfect time to be getting ahead and doing sowing of hardy annuals outdoors and and the great thing about hardy annuals is you need no equipment whatsoever you just need a little bit of soil to be able to sow some seeds in simple very simple yes so um you know there's lots to choose from let's think about things like you know the the pot marigolds the calendulas eschultzia californian poppies limnanthes lobularia nemophila poppies it's all good colourful stuff, isn't it, as all well? Good. Yeah, and, and some of it's really good for cutting as mm. well, if you like bringing stuff inside. So all you need to do is, is literally to rake over the soil, prepare it into a seed bed, put a little bit of general fertiliser down if you want to. And then there's a couple of different ways of doing it. Um, first of all, just mark out the area that you're going to sow each variety in. And then all you have to do is just broadcast the seed over the soil. So that just literally means, when we say broadcast, we just mean sprinkle it over the soil, lightly rake it in, and then water it in. So that's one method of doing it. That gives you quite an informal sort of cottage garden effect. Looks lovely, but you struggle a bit with the weeds, don't you? Because if the weed pops up, you can't find which is what. Which is why I'm going to go on to the second method. Ah, the better method, possibly. It's it's slightly, it's a different method. We all have our own favourites. But yes, you're right, this way you can... It's easier to distinguish between the plants you've sown and the weeds that are coming up. And and basically what you do is that in that area that you've marked out for each variety, you just make some drills. As if so you just were, lines with yeah. a cane or a hoe? Or... Yeah, whatever, just to make a little sort of trench, a little half-inch deep trench, a uh, bit like when you do sowing vegetables. And then you sow the seeds thinly in that in the rows, and you have, you have lots of rows in your marked-out mm-hmm. area. And then when they come up, they'll come up in that row, and then you'll know that those are the plants, and anything outside that row is a, weed. a weed. Now, that gives you a slightly more formal-looking effect, but still looks brilliant. So lots of colour. In the garden. Now, we're talking about getting on and moving things on. Good time to plant your spuds, isn't it? Your potatoes. Absolutely. Now, if you've got an allotment or a veg plot, you're digging out a bit of a trench and putting it in. But people always worry about slugs, don't they? And I still like to put slug pellets 
in the trench. Me Do too. you as well? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Because most of the slugs are underground, aren't they? That's where your biggest problems are. Well, the, one, the ones that do the damage the tubers. Are, are your key, what are called keel yeah. slugs. And yeah, they spend most of their life living in the soil. People don't leave enough room between rows either, do they? You've got to leave a fair bit of room so you can work down the rows, haven't you? And if you are going to be doing the, the traditional the, earthing, earthing up, up, which is a great idea... Then you could be a good couple of feet apart, haven't you? I, I at least. Well, for, for earlies, I go 18 inches. And then work out to two feet. Two foot on, for, for main crops. Yeah. So it is important to see that you do that. Uh, as I said, put in slug pellets. But more and more people are growing in containers, aren't they, Jeff? Yeah, well... Don't you, you think know, so? Well, every, more and more people are growing all veg in containers and, and potatoes are perfect for, for pots, as long as you've got a nice deep pot. It's got to be... And you can use compost bags, anything like that would work quite well, wouldn't it? Yep, if you've got any, any leftover compost from last year. or It you... works, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, there's a bit of discussion, isn't there, whether you, you know, fill a third of the way up, put a potato or a couple of potatoes, depending on the size of the container. If it was only about 18 inches to two foot, really, do you need one or two potatoes uh, in there? I, I, I'm you have to be careful, don't you? I'm greedy, I'll put three in. You would. One, it, two, if, three. If it was two foot diameter, definitely put three, three in. Three in with two. And then people say that then as it grows, you just put more compost, put more compost. Others say, that's a load of old rubbish. You just plant your potato and let it get on with it. I know. What do you What do you personally think? What do Jeff? I personally think? I personally think that there is evidence, evidence. out there in the world that doing the, the, the layering method, i.e. I put in about four inches of compost, I put the potatoes sort of, you know, sort yep. of lightly into that four inches and then cover just over the potato and, and as, as they, they grow, grow i put more and more compost on because uh they are stem tubers and, I, right. I, and I find that you get better results and you get more potatoes by doing that layering system I suppose the other method is just a bit of idleness yeah just put them if in and then fill the fill the pot up which works for a lot of people because that's all they want to do is yeah. grow a few potatoes yeah. put it in keep it water and it, you must keep them well watered that's a real reminder that we ought to say isn't it Water, 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 because if not, they dry out so much in a container. Yeah, and if you've used old compost, then you definitely will need to put some feed in. Yeah. I mean, even if you use new compost, you're going to put some, need to oh. put some feed in. But if it's old compost, definitely lots of feed. They are. So we're getting on with our potatoes. What else we got then, Jeff? Well, you know, we either love it or we hate it. The, the good old British lawn. And if we love it, then we need to look after it which basically means that the most important thing is correct, regular mowing. Very important. If you, if you get that wrong, if you don't bother mowing... Or you mow it intermittently. Or, yeah, you allow it to grow up to four foot and then shave it down into a, a mud patch. You doesn't weak, work. You weaken the grass. The grass doesn't grow well, and it leaves gaps for moss and weeds to get in. So regular mowing, and basically everybody says, well, when's that? Well, it's when it's growing. Ideally, every time you mow, you want to be taking just the tips of the of the tips of the leaves off. In other words, not too not too too low not too is low. what we're no, looking at, no. isn't it? A third of the height of the grass each time maximum. To try and keep the grass, if you've got an average lawn, at about an inch and a half high all the way through spring, possibly a bit higher in summer if we get a drought. But you know, don't get it too short or you'll cause problems and and then because you're mowing regularly and and removing grass you need to feed it so i was going to say it's about right to do that isn't it once we're into april you're away aren't absolutely you? yeah that, that's why we're doing it this this that's this right. week this week so yeah a, a good granular lawn fertilizer should keep it fed for about three months we hope 
Yes. No, it, it does. It yeah. does. If, if now, you... if we're having dry weather, which we have had a lot of dry weather, yeah. most granules, they suggest you water in, don't they? Uh, they do, although a, a good lawn fertiliser these days is based on a controlled release or a slow release feed. So there's, there's less likelihood of burning. So um, they're often on the packet. It's often mentioned that it's a no-scorch formula. But yes, watering in. Or if it is really dry, use a liquid feed. Yeah. And it is dry at the moment. It is. Uh, my, my one as well is the winter flowering heathers, which are very attractive, aren't they? I, 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 mean, love, I love winter flowering heathers. Yeah. And I mean, use them as ground cover, particularly. And they really cover over. But you can't just let them grow because they grow leggy and horrible and they get all this brown mess underneath. Mess underneath. And, yeah, they, and, they, and they go woody. Yeah. And, and then uh, you get bare bottoms. Bare, and there's nothing worse than a bare bottom. So I go over them with the shears. I'm quite ruthless. Go over them with the shears, rake all the debris off and then get a good ericaceous compost or some sort of compost and really work it into them because that helps the roots to... You get more roots, actually, from the stems, don't you? They yeah. self-root, yeah. and then they'll spread even more and add as greater ground cover. Yeah, and, and, give, it's a, it's give, a, and give them a feed. I was going to say, it's a good reminder, actually, at this time of year as we go into April, to give most ericaceous um, plants a good ericaceous food yeah rhodos azaleas yeah. camellias all need it all need a good feed now Can and and when i do my winter flowering heathers i i literally just take off about an inch of the foliage or two inches of the foliage yeah. depending on its size you don't go oh hard, no not into hard. the wood no. no perhaps i was a bit glib there i said i go over it with the shears but yeah not into hard wood because it doesn't regrow very well at nope. all and it looks horrible indeed so there are get out there get clipping get feeding Absolutely. And then the last thing we're going to do is we're going to be looking at our spring flowering bulbs, which have been fantastic this year, generally. The warm weather's hit them a bit, though, this week, hasn't it? Yes, it has. So, so as soon as they go over, and I'm, and I'm mainly thinking of things that that have big flowers, so your, your tulips and particularly daffodils. Yeah. It, this, this, I'm going to say, is going to be a bit more difficult for the sort of, you know, the tiny, the tiny flowered things. But what you are thinking about, what you have to think about, it, it's now... When they finish flowering, that they are developing next year's flower buds. And so many people say, oh, my daffodils went blind, i.e. they didn't flower. And it's usually because you didn't look after them now. So when they finish flowering, take off the faded flower and the developing seed pod, because you don't want the seeds. You don't want them wasting energy on producing seeds. Don't cut the leaves down. Don't tie them into lovely, neat knots. Keep the grass growing. Sorry, keep the leaves growing for as long as possible because the leaves are feeding the bulb and producing the, the flower bud and give them a liquid feed something that uh, you know is fairly high in potash just water it over the leaves water it over the soil that extra food will give them extra energy and produce really fat flower buds for next year the bbc essex gardening hour with ken crowther every saturday from 11. Let's have a look at some of the gardening events taking place across Essex over the next few weeks. And we're going to be starting in Tiptree. Yes, the Garden Club there has a guest speaker, Monica Curry, uh, who's talking about weeds as medicine. Monica has a lifelong interest in herbal medicine, which originates from her Central European roots. Entry is just £2 for members, £3 for visitors. That kicks off at 8 o'clock. Tiptree Gardening Club, that is. 8th of April, 2 o'clock. Little Waltham Gardening Club has a spring show and that's at the Memorial Hall. Absolutely free to get in as well. 16th of April, 10 till midday, the matching charity Farmers Market at the Village Hall. 
Fresh produce from local farmers producing, including, you know, it's got meats, cakes, eggs, veg, all that sort of thing. And it takes place on the third Saturday of every month. Saturday the 25th of April, going through April now, 2 o'clock, the Great Dunmo Horticulture Society has their spring show with exhibits including flowers, floral art, domestic and craft sections. And that's at Folks Hall, Great Dunmo. And there's some of the events that are coming up. Don't forget that you can let us know about your gardening event. We put it on the podcast to spread the word across Essex. So send it along to me, Ken Crowther, with at least three weeks' notice, either by email, which is ken.crowther, at bbc.co.uk, or send it in the post. Ken Crowther, BBC Essex, PO Box 765, Chelmsford, CM29XB. Coming up next, myself and Jeff will be answering your gardening questions. And we'll start with John in Ardley and his freezers. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. Uh, what I've had, my son brought the wife from freezers to grow. Yeah. Uh, two packs of 100, 200, right? And uh, I have the faintest idea. I tried to grow them once, had no success, and I just wondered if there's, you know, any special way of growing the corns. It's funny, Jeff, it is strange, because I used to try and grow freezes in containers, in mm-hmm. pots, and my success rate was poor as well. I was never very good at it. So, come on, Jeff, you got any tips for me as well? Well, a lot depends on the bulbs themselves. What, the quality? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of them, especially if you buy cheap bulbs, they have been sitting around for so long that they've mm-hmm. quite often dried out. Uh, and, and you can't really tell because they're hard anyway, aren't absolutely. they? Absolutely. And freezers, once they are, you know, have been sitting around in dry conditions, and maybe if they've been kept too hot, do fail on a regular basis. So, um, I, personally, I what I would probably try and do is, is, is grow some in containers, and I would also try planting some directly outside. But it's a little bit early to be planting them outside, so I would yeah. probably wait until the end of uh, end of this month, i.e., the end of April before actually plant them in the ground. They need a really warm, sunny position and they need really good, well-drained soil. Don't say where you bought them or what you bought, but have you bought them just recently? It was a, the son bought them for the wife uh, about a fortnight ago, sent away. And it's important uh, to keep them the cool, isn't the, it? On the radio. Yeah, yeah keep, 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 keep them, them cool. Keep them somewhere dark and as cool as possible before you get ready to plant them out. Yeah, right. said they're hot trees. I don't know what that means. Heat treated. Okay, well, that's that's a treatment that improves their growth and flowering. But um, you know, you, if you've got somewhere like a greenhouse that you can plant them in pots now, you can do that now. But wait until the end of April before planting them outside. Okay. Actually, I didn't know whether I should uh, put them in water first. No, 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 no. Definitely don't do. Get start. them planted end of the month out in the ground. And if you've got somewhere sheltered, put some in a container now. Yep. Yes? Yep. Simple as that. Let us know also, uh, John, how they get on, because we're always interested. Dave from Prittlewell, what have you been up to? Morning, uh, Ken and Jeff. Lovely morning. Um, a mate of mine, he's had to empty his pond out because he's got a very bad leak. So I've rescued, must be about a couple of hundred tadpoles. And uh, I've got them, some in a couple of big containers, and a few I've put in a Irish, you know, your water lily baskets. I've floated one of them in my pond, 
so the fish don't get them. Uh-huh. But what I want to know is, what does one feed them on as they grow? Um, OK, generally speaking, uh, when they are young, when they are very young, they are vegetarians. So they eat um, a- any of the sort of floating weeds or e- even quite microscopic. You can't always see what they're eating, can you? No. It's, it's whatever is in the pond usually, isn't it? Yeah. And then as as they grow, I think it's when they've when they develop their back legs, they become carnivorous. And what I do in my pond is that I then get um, tiny, well, not tiny, but quite small pieces of <coughs> cat food in my in my. <coughs> He's using cat food. Cat food in my in my instance, and and I just put uh, one lump of cat food a day in there, or if it if it lasts for longer than a day, obviously until it's actually eaten up. All right. Yeah, well, uh, uh, there's no vegetation in the tanks <coughs> that I've got them. They're just like great big buckets. So what about if I put some cabbage leaves or something? No, like no, that? No, 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 no. It's things like algae. So um, if you have, do you have a water butt? Yeah. Okay. Well, then take, scoop a bit of take, that out. Take some of the water <laughs> out of the water butt. There should be enough sort of microscopic plant life in there to, to feed them initially. Oh right, yeah. They have, that's what I did put them in anyway. Oh, you're doing the right oh, well, thing. There you go. They, they should be fine. Oh right. Okay. Then and then later on, give them. Well, I won't give them cat food. Dog food. Dog food's fine. Yeah. Yep. Right, that's better still. <laughs> okay. okay, thanks very much. Best of luck, Dave, and remember that you mustn't put tadpoles into water courses or ponds in the wild, must you? No, you mustn't, because you don't know whether they're infected with... That's right. Uh, red leg, I think, is the main red disease. Red leg's the main disease yeah. you've got to worry about. Harold from Bowers Gifford, you've got a question for us, haven't you? have been bringing plants back from Madeira, is that right? Well, I've got a daughter who brought one back from me, yes. It's... a. Uh, Heliconia bihai, um, B-I-H-A-I. Yeah. And there's no instructions at all on it. One little card said, this is a bulb from a tropical plant produced in Madeira Island and is valid for 60 days after collected. <laughs> collected on the 9th of March. So what the heck it means, I don't know. But I wonder what I the valid 60 to... days means. Yeah. Well, it means if it, does, to... if it doesn't grow, you can't send it back un- under 60 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, no. But I wondered if you could advise me. Should it go into a big <clears throat> pot, a small pot, or be with well, it's not hard, or is it? Compost or, you know... Well, uh, yeah, the, the heliconias aren't aren't hardy. That's the first thing you've got to remember. So, you... so it's got to stay in the green in the conservatory. Well, yeah, ca- yeah you can, can either, go in the summer, can't you? You can either keep it in the conservatory all year, or put it outside on the patio for the summer. Um, I would not be putting it into too big a pot initially. Um, uh, obviously, depending on the size of the plant you've got. I mean, what, what, how how big is it? Blimey, you know, how big's a bit of string? Um, Two inches, the last piece of string I had. It it fits in the palm of my hand nicely. Okay, then put it into a pot that is just a bit bigger than than the size of your palm. That's it. So about a five-inch pot then, five-and-a-half-inch pot. Six inch, let's go six. Six. Go for six-inch pot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd probably use a... I'd probably use a multi-purpose with John John Innes. I see, I see. Thank you very much indeed. Thank okay. you. And going on from your friend with uh, his, the, your first caller, I had some of those freezers last year. I put some in, some out. I got the green shoots came all right, so they germinated, but there wasn't one bloom on them, and there's no sign of anything coming this year. 
That's, uh, of, that's often what happens with freesias. Yeah, they're, freesias. Not, they're not, they're not, they're the, not easiest. the easiest to grow at all. No, no, no that's what I thought. They, need, they need plenty of warmth when they're growing. They do indeed. Uh, let's now go to Peter from Rayleigh. Don't forget, Peter has rung us on 0300 200 4041. That's the number to call us on. Hello, Peter. Oh, good morning to you. Just a couple of questions, please. I've recently bought uh, some early pea plants. Yep. And I'm going to grow them in a container. Now, I've read that obviously they need canes and possibly netting because I think the pigeons and birds like love love the seed, don't they? It, well, pigeons will eat anything. Peas, yeah. peas in a container. Peas in a container. You could actually. How high is the container? Because you could let them hang down, couldn't you? Uh, or would yeah, you have them go? I'm looking at Jeff. I'm looking at Jeff across the desk here. I'm I, thinking I, you you could grow them down the container. Peas as trailing plants, I find don't you, don't, don't really work. Don't work. Okay, so no, we I need some ten inches, uh, roughly ten inches tall. The container, fairly wide. No, okay, twelve inches wide. You know. Right, you're going to have to keep it very well watered for a start, and they'll need some support. They will need canes and netting to climb up. Red. Um, now, in terms of planting them, it, peas don't like it too hot, so I might be safe to plant them in the next few days, do you think? Um, if they've been hardened off, they should be all right. Yeah. So where, where have you got them at the moment, Peter? They're just in small... Uh, the plants are in just the small um, pots that I bought from the, the garden centre. Now, where are you keeping them at the moment? Where are they standing? Outside? Just in the garden, uh, That's as all right. they are for the moment, till I till I sort them out in the next day or two. Okay, well then, yeah, That's fine. They, they, they should they should be conditioned to outdoor conditions. So yeah, get them planted as soon as you can. Okay, yeah. and the other thing is, I believe they don't. When you feed them, they don't need an awful lot of feed because they draw nitrogen from the, from the air. Is that? Kind uh, of. They they, <coughs> they have an association with a bacteria in the soil, and the bacteria um, take right. the nitrogen and give it to the plants. Okay, so if you do occasionally feed them, would it be best to obviously don't want a, a high nitrogen? Say something like some manure. Uh, uh, mix that in with the compost. No, because the, manu- no. the manure no. is totally the wrong thing. You want a high potash liquid feed, a tomato feed, and oh, that will okay. do them good. Yeah, I've got that. Yes. Okay. Thanks for that. That's- that's what I wasn't sure about. Okay. And, it, and enjoy your crop of peas and let us know how you get on. Yes, I will. Thank you, Ken. And uh, okay. thanks very much. OK. Now, Jeff Hodge, my guest here today, and we are talking gardening. We are fitting Noel from Little Clacton. You have a betula tree. Which one is it, uh, Noel? Good morning, uh, Ken. It's a royal frost. A royal? Royal frost. Royal frost. Yes, it says persistent, rich burgundy leaves, and in time a good white stem with cinnamon hues. Right, well, we're both looking at each other because we obviously haven't come across that one, but what would you like to know about the betula? I planted it last summer, and uh, it's been looking fine until now. Everything else in the garden is shooting and looking lovely, but that's not shooting, budding, or doing anything. Is it, do you think, something that just comes later than everything else? So, <clears throat> no, you planted it last summer. Yes. And did it grow okay during the rest of the summer? Yes, yes, fine. Everything's fine with they're it. They're not leafing yet. 
No, they're only not, just not showing doing anything. No, they're just showing a bit of. Some of them are showing a bit of catkin, but they're not leafing yes, yet. My silver birch is showing catkins, and I've got another birch that's different, and that's in uh, young leaf. But this betula is not doing anything. Quite early. It's still early on that, isn't it? Do you think, Jeff? Yeah, they're I mean, just coming, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, because it's because it's a, a a young plant, it it won't react in exactly the same way as something that has been established. And if it was mm. planted in the summer, which is never a great time to plant trees, no. it may it may still be putting root growth down and and you know trying to establish itself before it pr- produces yeah. a lot of leaf growth. Yeah, I did. Uh, unfortunately, I was having hard landscaping done last summer, so I d- I didn't have a choice when to plant no, it, but uh, I did water it well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, watering obviously will help. I think help. you've just got to be patient for the next two or three weeks, really, isn't it, Jeff? Just keep an eye on it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if the, if the soil is uh, is at all dry, you know, give it a, a thorough soaking. Give Scra- it- and scrape the bark, and you should be able to see whether it's green underneath the bark. And if it is, you've got a live tree that you can look forward to pretty, yes. pretty and purple leaves. And if not, leaves. the garden centre can have it back. <laughs> uh, well, if, well, I'm not sure they can have it back because it grew all right last year. So <laughs> I think they would. I think they would question that. All right. <laughs> anyway, that's a, no. They are a bit early, aren't they? And I think we have to accept they are a bit early. We now go. Where are we going? I'll tell you where we're going to go. We're going to go to Mark in Dulwich, and Mark has a question about a flowering cherry tree. Is that right, Mark? That's that's the one, and, and thanks a lot. Um, basically, it, it's it's casting a bit of sh- uh, shadow. I've planted a fruit cherry just nearby, and basically, would it, would it be okay to, to uh, move a few limbs, cut a few limbs off, and no no thicker than three inches? Um, so what do you want to do? Are you trying to raise Give it the more can- sunshine for the baby one? So you're trying to raise the canopy. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, that's that's a, a fairly traditional technique that uh, tree surgeons use on trees. It is called canopy lifting, oh. or, or, or raising. So, but you, it is a cherry. So when well, would yeah, you do uh, it? Give us give us a chance. Give, you a chance. give us a chance. Uh, <laughs> cherry trees uh, pruning time is it's quite important because if you do it at the wrong time, there is a chance you can get a serious disease into the wounds. So cherries have to be pruned while they are very actively growing. And generally speaking, obviously that's dependent on the weather, but generally speaking, we're talking time from May to the end of August. You oh, certainly it's, it's, never it's do it in autumn and winter. Blossom now. It's beautiful. Yeah, but we're talking about leaf growth rather uh, than blossom. Uh, how about uh, if I paint the... the uh, paint no, no, the no, 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 you don't paint the wounds. What you do, if you look at the branch that you're about to remove... So this is coming off the main trunk, yes? Yeah. Okay. Where it where it joins the main trunk, you should see around the the branch that you're about to remove on the main trunk, what a raised area which is called the collar. Oh, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. So in the collar there are cells that uh, ensure very fast healing of the wound. So you don't cut the branch flush to the trunk. You cut it the other side of the collar so that the collar remains intact. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11. Uh, We're going to be talking to Alan in Haybridge. Hello, Alan. Uh, Good morning, uh, Ken and Jeff. Um, I have a question about um, a white solanum. Uh, Solanum jasminoides, I believe. 
Um, it's growing probably not in the right place, but I planted it um, in a north-facing wall um, and three or four years ago. And um, it's, uh, I really want to know how to cut it back. And where I wrote down a couple of years ago, I believe you mentioned something, early spring, remove a, remove a third to ground level. Um, but uh, I'm not sure where, it's, where I wrote it down right or... Okay, probably not, Alan. Uh, no, sound, that doesn't sound quite uh, right, does it? You are right that you've got it in the wrong, really in the wrong position. Selenums much prefer a sunny position, so they yeah. do much better in a west uh, or south-facing aspect. Yeah. Yeah. The pruning, the, the pruning you do do now. Um, April is is kind of the month to do most of your pruning on on selenums or, or flowering potatoes, as they are sometimes yeah, called. And and the aim is. Um, hopefully you've got a, a, a more or less a framework of main branches that cover whatever the support is or, or where, wherever you actually want it growing. And then last year's growth, which will be sort of mo the, the most green growth, yeah. you cut that back hard to about an inch or two from where it joins the older branches or the main branches. You don't certainly don't cut no, it don't down cut it to ground. ground level, but oh. you cut but you cut back the previous year's growth hard to an inch or two. Okay, just I mean um, briefly, it's um, although it's facing in the wrong direction. I agree, it's it's come up uh, to up the five foot six foot wall, and then the rest of it is in sunshine. So I mean, it's now okay. it goes up five foot. There's not too much growth at the bottom, obviously, but when it gets into the sunshine, it's come about ten foot across my pergola, and I just wondered where I could trim the, you know, everything really back, you know, sort of a, a third maybe. You can tidy, you could tidy up the stuff across the pergola in the same way, couldn't you? Well, yeah, you're, you prune yeah. that back to a couple of inches, but you couldn't cut back the old, no. the, the old main stems, okay. you know, down to down to two foot or something like happen. that, because that that won't reshoot. Right. Okay, but I can trim back because I mean it's covering an area now, you know, maybe eight foot by eight foot. Yeah. Uh, about ten foot high on my pergola. And I'd just like to trim it all back and get some new growth. So that's okay at this time of the year. Yeah, the harder you prune it back, the harder you prune back last year's growth, right. the, the stronger it will reshoot and therefore the stronger it will reflower. All right. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, that's uh, good. That was Alan in Haybridge. And now we go to. Oh, we're jumping about here. Where are we off to? We're going to Eve in Harlow. Hello, Eve. Hello again. Um, I'm just wondering, um, yeah. I've just re had the um, pondry lined. Oh, right. And I've got to get some more plants for it. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get some established plants if I can, you know, ones that are... Reasonable size, yep. Um, what do I do? Do I have to sort of lean to one side and sort of clean them in some way? Because I don't want to well, introduce... If... Well, if you if you buy them if you buy them from a a good you know um, water or aquatic garden centre, they should be clean. They should not have anything with them, should they? Jeff, do you agree? Well, it all depends on what uh, you did. You say should all depends on what you mean by things well, with them. Well, you shouldn't have um, any extra weed or stuff with them. You shouldn't. You, sh you shouldn't, but I mean, you know, algae. algae. The, oh, you get some the algae. Spores of algae are microscopic. Yeah. You can't clean them. One one duckweed leaf. Well, that's true. Will produce thousands by the end of the year. So, I, I, the, the whole concept of the whole concept of buying a, a clean aquatic plant sort of it's escape, quite difficult. Escapes me. 
But oh. yes, if you go to an aquatic centre where the water is looks good. is clean and it you know it, the plants don't look like they're, they're half dead and they're sitting in that's what's mucky. That's water. what I'm trying to get at is yeah. go to a good aquatic centre and look for quality plants, the same as you would Any if you other were plant. buying for a plant for your garden. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you very much for your help. Sorry I can't be more helpful than that, but what Jeff says is true. Yeah. is one little leaf, one microscopic bit of this or bit of that, and yes, it will be in your pond. But, you know, yes. look for somewhere that's good. And, okay. And, and April, April, April is a good month to restock ponds. So if anybody else out there is looking for plants for their pond, now's a good time. Put the plants in for at least a month if you're thinking of putting fish in as well. You need to get the plants established before you put fish in. Now we go to Daphne in Great Barrow. Hello, Daphne. Hello, Ken. What we got for today? Um, yeah, my next door neighbour, um, he moved in about a year ago and in the garden was a camellia, mm-hmm. a white one. We've lovely. got a, a lovely pink one, but when he comes out in bloom, the, the blooms stay white for perhaps a couple of days and then they turn sort of a horrible yellow, rusty colour. Yep. That's what camellias do. That's what camellias can do, yeah. Whites and pe- very pale pink camellias, the petals are a, are a little bit um, softer, if you like. They're, yeah. they're more susceptible to environmental stroke weather conditions. Oh, and, I see. Um, and sometimes it's not possible to do anything about it. But what makes it worse is if the camellia is growing in a position where it gets early morning sunshine or if it's in a position where it gets quite strong winds, and that sort of exacerbates the the, the, the problem. So, yeah. if it's, so if it's in a position where it gets early morning sunshine, it'll need moving, but that can't be done. Well, I suppose you, know, well, you, you could, could do get it. away with it now. Yeah, when it finishes flowering, you could have a go at moving it, or he could yeah. have a go at moving it. Yeah, it's sort of like in the middle of his garden, you oh, know, yes, and the person get... that was there before put it in. Well, if it's in full sun, then it's uh, in to- totally the wrong, wrong position. Place. They they like light shade. Oh, right. And they certainly don't like well, early morning, morning sunlight. Sun. They don't so, like early morning sun. Give him a bit of good gardening advice, uh, Daphne, and I'm sure he'll appreciate it. How about okay. that? Okay, then. All right. Charge him, f- charge him for it, Daphne. Charge, <laughs> charge him a tenner for your expert advice. <laughs> Okay, that's uh, a lovely uh, a reminder to anybody buying camellias because they're in garden centres looking really good at the moment. Because they're in flower. Because uh, yeah. they're in flower, but please plant them in semi-shade or definitely avoid morning uh, sunshine. We go to Roy in Hockley. Uh, we want to talk about a jasmine, is that right? We are indeed. Hello, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for the call. Um, or taking the call. I try to be posh and it don't work. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Roy. What's up with your jasmine? Yeah, come on, tell us about it. What's up with my jasmine? According to the Duchess here, she's got it all worked out. Jasmine have picked up some type of parasite. Uh, That's then intake, it excretes honeydew, she says. She's good. And then the insects come along and leave all the leaves black. Yeah. We'll give her a job, shall we? (laughs) I was thinking of that, but today she's on broomstick flying. Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't think she can do it. No, she's positively right. Isn't she, right. Jeff? She is. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, it'll, got, it'll, it'll be a. How do I wash them? Do I have to do each one, or is this? We found something called neem, but apparently you can use it for plants and in food. So I'm a bit confused. Uh, okay. Well, basically, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to find out. You've got to try and spot what the insect is that's doing it. So right, there's no sign of any life on it at the moment. They just oh. 
Okay. Last, it, could it, it be is, last year? Is this in? Is this indoors? This jasmine? No, it's outside. It's on yeah. the wall. It's a climber. Mm. Okay. Uh, quite possibly then, if you can't see any insects, I mean, the, the, it's basically a sap-sucking insect. So the usual culprits are aphids, which you would find small and on the undersides of leaves. Yeah. But one thing that uh, is quite difficult to spot is something called scale insect. And scale insects either live on the undersides of the leaves or on the on the branches, the actual wood. And they right. look like and they look like little, and I mean little, you know, less than a quarter of an inch long, brown limpets. So it might look like the stem is is got a warty growth on it, got these lumps, and those are in yeah. fact the scale insects. So you've got to you've got to control those. Right. And so that means you've got to spray with an insecticide. And if it is scale insect, they are difficult to control with most insecticides. So the best one to use is one called Bug Clear Ultra. Ultra. That's the one. Once you kill the in- Could you spell that for me, please? Bug, as in B-U-G. Oh, sorry. I, I also, could you two put new batteries in my hearing aids? I yeah. never got that. <laughs> yeah, I'll send them, we'll send them along for you. Don't worry. So Bug Clear, clear as in get rid of, clear away, clear Ultra. Ultra. It's the only one, isn't it, now? It's the only only systemic insecticide. And then, obviously, that'll prevent the honeydew, which will prevent any more sooty mould being produced. Uh, The sooty mould should, in time, disappear, or you can try... You can wash them off, can't you? You can try blasting it off with a hose, yeah. I did that. I've tried it all. Some of them have cleaned up, and others, it's really quite... Just leave it. plants, they're about two yards apart from each other. One's completely clear of it. Yeah, well, once you, once you get it growing again, you get all that lovely new growth and you won't have to worry at all. Thank How about that? Thank you so much for your help. Thank That's you all right. very much. Hello, Stephen. Sorry to have kept you waiting there. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning. We're talking um, pear trees, aren't we? That's right. Before I, I talk <laughs> about that, thanks for the advice you gave me last year on an apricot tree. We, we planted a tomcot. Um, it's been in bloom and... Uh, we're hopeful of a little bit of fruit later on in the year. Fingers crossed. Anyway, as long as, long as um, we know, as long as the frost doesn't hit it, it should should produce good fruit, yeah, shouldn't it? Looked, it, it looked yep. okay actually. Um, there wasn't any frost when when it was in blossom. The blossom seems to have set now. But uh, good. Um, my wife um, is interested in getting a couple of pear trees. Uh-huh. Um, she didn't want a conference, though, and, and I understand, having done a little bit of a re- research, that you've got to be careful about getting... Um, Pollination. ...ones that cross-pollinate. Yep. So that's right. Really some advice on some good varieties to look at, which are maybe a little bit on the unusual side, but which would be good, reliable croppers. There's some newer ones, aren't there, around there? <clears> there Jeff? are some newer ones, but I, I've not tasted them, so I'm going to go for... <clears throat> My three favourites that, that I know are, that are good. So we've got uh, Williams Bon Chrétien. Uh-huh. It's an old one, but it's still one of the best flavoured ones, isn't it? Indeed. Jim? And Onward. Yep. Uh, not, not Christ- and they'll cross-pollinate easily. Not Christian soldiers. And, well, com- and, and no, Beth. Commis com- doesn't flower at the same time, no, does it? No. So it's no good using Commis. And Beth yeah. is my third one. I haven't I've never tasted that. Is that good, it's Beth? Great, yeah. So how about that? That sounds really helpful. Thank you. And 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 they should all cross pollinate those. Those three, three will. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, um, you know, make sure that you buy. Presumably, this is for you know your back garden. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, look look for the varieties. Those varieties on on semi semi dwarfing rootstock. Yeah. So that you don't get trees that grow to you know thirty foot, and you have to get a ladder to pick them. Yeah, my um, my parents actually, they're both still alive, live up in the north of the county, and they've got a conference which is about as old as I am, 
and I've got this telescoping picker I have to use to yep. um, reach the very top of it. It's huge, so uh, that's really good. Yeah, advice. I mean, even on a semi-dwarfing, pears are going to get around nine, ten foot high. So yeah. you know, but uh, so you, you certainly don't want a vigorous rootstock. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther every Saturday from eleven. We're talking the Burnham trees with Debbie and Canvey. Is that right, Debbie? Yeah, hello, Ken. Hi. Um, I do hope you can help me. I had, um, uh, I had, uh, oh dear, I, had, I planted a laburnum tree last year. Obviously, it was it was quite a healthy laburnum. It was like twelve feet high, so it was quite mature. Um, it was in leaf, but obviously it didn't flower. But something attacked the leaves. Uh, and ate, ate them basically, and I couldn't find anything on it that was called. I couldn't find any little caterpillars or anything, and it was very frustrating to watch this lovely new tree being eaten. Now it's just started to to bud um, this year. Uh, it's looking quite healthy, but I'm wondering: is there anything I can spray on it now as a preventative me- measure um, before the actual leaves fully open? Uh, okay, what was probably attacking it is probably a caterpillar, mm, caterpillar probably yeah. a moth caterpillar, and for most of those species, they are very small, they are green, they hide themselves well, Can't they're difficult it, no. to spot unless you actually go out, and because they are moth, they are more um, uh, lively uh, at night, mm. so you'd need to go out mm. at night with a torch to actually spot them. She could spray, couldn't she? I would wait until the leaves <laughs> yeah. are... Yeah, that's well. That's going to be your problem. Is that obviously for most insecticides, you've got to actually spray every leaf to be able to, for it to you to to work. So the only one that you can use that you don't have to spray every leaf is one that we mentioned earlier just now, Ultra. which is Bug Clear Ultra. All right, and and just just spray. As spray as you spray as many of the leaves as you possibly can because you want as much chemical to get inside the plant as possible. If you only spray one leaf, then that's one, that's, that's one leaf's worth of chemical for the whole tree. But what you said is wait till the leaf is fully out. I, well, I would wait until it's expanded. Expanded, yeah. Not just in bud. Yeah. And we go to Bob in Pitsy talking courgette. Sorry, Bob, I nearly introduced you and then moved on, didn't I? But, no problem. Uh, Morning, Ken. Morning, Jeff. Courgettes. Are you growing courgettes? Have you started them? I tried last year for the first time in containers. Um, I had no joy. I just wondered if it was the first time I tried them on, if it was a particularly bad year last year. No, it was was actually quite a good year year for courgettes. So what what happened then, Bob? What did you do? Well, I put them them in some containers and they grew and got they flowered and they got the little... Um, bit behind them, yeah. And I was trying to, I was sort of um, pollinating, self pollinating them, and um, they were just dropping off. or doing no good out of them at all. And then I did hear that it was a particularly bad year. I think I heard on your program, maybe. Yeah, that's um, what that's what we always say when we don't know the answer to something, Bob. <laughs> It is cheating, but that's what we always say. But it was actually quite a good year for courgettes last year. The thing about courgettes is that they need lots of water. Sounds like that's the so problem. So if it? you are growing mm. them in containers, you really need to make sure that you water them well and, and use a, thoroughly. And use a good sized container so they don't dry out as yeah, fast. Yeah, I grow mine in 18 mm. inch pots. 
Yeah. A single plant. A, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One, one plant in an 18-inch uh, pot. I use uh, John, uh, multi-purpose with uh, John, uh, added John Innes, and I actually put uh, water retention gel into the compost as well to hold the moisture. Yeah, I didn't do that. So and maybe, and, maybe and, that's what it was. Well, if, if if the fruit forms and then falls off, it, it's a it's a symptom of not enough water, because well, the pl- that's, that's reassuring. That is all right. Yeah, thanks very much for your time. Have no a problem, go, Bob, Bob, and let us know. I just want to jump to uh, an email that we had from Anne from Dover Court. She sent us a picture of a plant that she can't identify. The plant Anne from Dover Court that we're looking at is a self-seeded. Hellebore. Yes. We reckon self-seeded because if you don't know what it is, it will be self-seeded. Yeah. Because you're thinking, uh, it, oh, it's it, a, it's it, a word. it looks like it's probably Niger, so the Christmas rose. Um, and basically, if you if you keep the seed pods on your hellebores, they they are promiscuous little things. They do. And they they grow they'll they'll produce hundreds of new plants, and they'll just seed everywhere. Yvonne from Kelvedon, home of the sweet pea. You're talking sweet peas, is that right? Yes, please. I've sown some um, seeds in pots in the conservatory where they've been warm. They've now grown five inches high. What should I do now? And should I nip the tops out? And can they go outdoors? What plant? Sweet peas. Oh, sweet peas. peas. Sorry. Right, sorry. Uh, okay, it yes. It was the sweet pea we were talking, <laughs> wasn't it? Sorry, it's, I confused you because I said it's home of the sweet pea, yeah. Uh, yes, um, I, I tend to take the tips out of sweet peas when they're about four inches high, so five inches is fine. That'll make them branch. Yes. Um, are they they're growing in a tray, did you say? They're growing in pots, little pots at the moment, okay, so in the it, conservatory. Individually in pots. There's about four or five in a pot. In a pot. Okay, well, take the tips out and just keep the compost moist. Uh, Don't let it dry out and and don't, you know, waterlog it or get it too wet. Um, And you should be able to put them out, well, at at the end of this month. Right, thank you. No problem. That's sorted. Uh, There we go from sweet peas uh, to lupins. We're talking lupins, aren't we, with Patricia in Coggleshaw? Um, hello there, yes. Yes, it's something that's driving me mad. I've got quite a few lupins in my garden and they grow quite happily. They really look healthy at the moment. But they grow, then when they come out into bloom, they're attacked by... They're not green flies. I'm sure they're not green flies. They actually look like... They're like... Huge, huge... Yes, they're, huge. Like, they're like a bad... On the lupin, they disguise themselves so well. Yes, yeah. And then uh, I go out and I, because I don't know what to spray them with. I've tried. Yeah, they are. They are. They're definitely get rid of. They are an aphid. Oh, I try soapy water and things like that because I don't. Well, you can't use soapy water. That's illegal. Is it? Yeah, you can get fined for that if if the government find. If the government oh, find out, yeah, they also it doesn't work; it just washes them. Yeah, <laughs> they, they're called lupin aphids. They are oh. they are the biggest lupin in the world, just about. And and luckily for us, they only attack lupins because they yes, are a pain. Because there's a lot of my neighbours, uh, you know, around me. They can't grow lupins. They don't even grow in their garden. Yeah, but they will grow in my garden. So yep. I must be doing something right. So You've got to spray them to get rid of them quickly, haven't you? To get at yeah, them. Yeah, they are, and, I, that, I, and I, that's why I'm ringing you up now. Right. Yeah, they're, well, they're big beasts, 
So you do have to use something that's quite strong. So uh, I I make a solution of C4. C4? Yeah, C4, you know, the explosive. So (laughs) nitroglycerin. (laughs) So if you if you if you mix nitro, I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't if, think my neighbours are going to be very happy. No, about they that. wouldn't be happy about that if, at all. If, if you mix, get a bit if, upset, don't you? If you mix C4 with hot water, it works yeah. really well. And then spray it on, and then put a match to it. <laughs> that that's the only way that I know oh, no. of. That's well, the only I way I know it. of. Is there anything you get rid of them, Jeff? I grab my, you know, pull them off of my. You know, I'm so angry. I've got yeah, no, C4. You got it. That's the only thing that'll get rid of them is C4. So, Did you know what day it is? I'm not going to get rid of them. Do you know then. what day it is today? Oh, you, you <laughs> naughty boy. My husband caught me this morning and told me it's going to snow, and I believed him. Right, so what should we spray it with? Okay, it's, uh, you may have heard us mention it before. Because it's the only one that we can use yeah, now. Well, I, you've got three that might be good, but I would say Bug Clear Ultra would be your best bet. But you could use Provado? You could use Provado, or you could use Westland, um, uh, Westland Bug Killer. Right. I made a note this morning when the la- we were speaking to a lady about the bug clip. The bug. So I've made a note of that. What was the other one you said? Provado uh, Ultimate Bug Killer. And the, or, and... or Westland Resolver Bug Killer. So Lorraine, what do you got for us today with your gladioli? Good morning, both of you, and thank you very much. Uh, I planted gladiolis last year for the first time and was really rewarded with the most wonderful display I've ever, ever seen of gladiolis. Working in the borders um, this earlier this week, I've noticed that the... Are they corms? They are corms, yeah. Yep, I've noticed the corms have come to the surface but are shooting and there's lots of little cormlets. What do I do? Um, They do come to the surface. They're inclined to push. They they push themselves up, don't they? there's no if if the if the corms have actually started shooting. There's not, not you can't sort of really because they're rooted first, haven't they? Yeah, yep. you can't lift them, right. so you're you're going to have to leave them where they are, and they might need staking because they might not produce such a, a deep root system. Okay. So if it, so if it's a windy area, they might need staking yeah, to prevent them falling over. Uh, but you should still get a good display off them. Okay. The, the the cormlets are you know it'll take three maybe four years for them to reach flowering size, so the choice is yours. Um, I would I would probably take them off, and then it's either do you want to pot them up and grow them on for three or four years, or do you just want to shove them in the bin because you you haven't got time to grow them on. So they are that's answered that one. Just following on Janet's question, hi Ken and Jeff, my dahlia tubers are a bit shriveled. Shall I soak them before I plant them? Yes, you can. Now they plump up nicely. Yeah. Too early to plant them. Well, it's too early to plant them outside. But so start not... them off in a container or even yeah. lay them in a, in a box, in a deep box of compost you can, can't you? Yeah, just make sure if you're going to do that, you don't cover over the, 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 the crowns where the, the buds are going to come yeah. from, but certainly cover over the tulip, uh, sorry, the tulips, the tubers, to prevent them from drying out. John in Waltham Abbey. Hi, John. Amaryllis. Uh, morning, Kane. Morning, what, Jeff. Uh, morning, Amaryllis, aren't we? I give you a ring once a year about my Amaryllis. Yeah, what we... I'm in 1994. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it has just finished flowering for the 22nd consecutive year. Excellent. And it's looking as strong as ever. Brilliant stuff. That is good to hear. John, do you think there's another record out there? You're doing 22 years. People should come back to us and let us know, shouldn't they? A lot of people have had them quite old. When you've, you've asked that in the past, people have had them quite old, but very often they're having a job to get them to flower. 
But not you, John. No, no. All I've done is follow the instructions that was on the original box. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to pass that one on next week as well and see if anyone else can beat you on 22 years. What do you reckon, John, hey? Give it a try. Cheers. Give it a try. John, thank you for reporting on that. John the Bye. Amaryllis King. Amaryllis King from Waltham Abbey. Tony from Stamford La Hope. Hello, Tony. Good morning, Ken. Good morning Aces. Is that right? Aces, we're talking. Yes, I've got a variegated acer, Ken. Mm-hmm. That's this... now come out in leaf, but the whole of the tree is covered in lichen. What right. should I do about it? OK, well, there isn't anything you can do, Tony. There's nothing that we have available now that um, is uh, is approved for use on taking ly uh, lichen or lichen off trees. Yeah. Um, um, some people think that it, it adds character to a plant. Uh, does, that doesn't does, help actually. the tree over a long period, does it? Well, it's, it's not a parasite. It'll, no, but it'll, it... it'll add to the weight of the plant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually a sign that the tree is in uh, is either in shade or is in very damp soil or a, or a combination of both. Uh -huh, yeah. So it's more to do with the growing conditions than, than the tree itself. Um, you can't even really scrape it off because if you try no. scraping it off, you might take the bark off the tree. Okay. So basically, yeah, okay. basically, it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful addition and it adds character to your tree. And that's it won't the way do you, any harm. It won't do any harm. No. Okay. Thank you very much indeed for your help. No problem. Uh, that's what we're here for. That's Tony from Savile Home. We go to Raynham now to talk to Dave about his holly tree. Hello there. Hi. Hello. Yeah, I've got um, uh, 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 the holly tree is about 25, 30 years old. It's quite a big holly tree. But what's happened is um, I've noticed over the last couple of years that the leaves are now oval and then they've got no thorns on them at all you know they, they get very crinkly and thorny well it used to be like that but now it's got just sort of ordinary oval leaves on it without the thorns well that's a good thing isn't it <laughs> no, you... I like the crinkly. oh you do okay <laughs> Um, you quite often find happen. it just that, that some of the it. some of the sort of more the the the, the weaker species type uh, varieties of holly will change their leaf shape as they get very old. Oh, I see. So it's, it's nothing. It's nothing, nothing to worry, to worry about, about at all. It's Obviously, nothing, nothing to worry about. It's just the fact that I've lost the. Um, the look of all the thorns on it and all that, and I, I just wondered whether they were, I needed to prune it to bring them back or what. No, it's unlikely. I think it will. Well, will it? Uh, prune, it might. pruning might, but you know, you'd have to prune the whole tree, which would be a huge undertaking, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it'd be a fourth road bridge job. You'd, you'd, as soon as you started one one side, you'd have to go back and do the other. So leave alone and don't worry. No, is appreciate the, the fact that you're appreciate, not the yeah. fact you're not going to get spiked. And we're off to Great Bardfield to talk to Tony. Hello, Tony. Hi there. Yeah, I just want to know how can I deter cats from messing on my garden? They've mm. already dug up some of my dahlias. You should have asked at the beginning mm. of the programme and everybody could, everybody could have joined in with their, their, their ideas. Oh, um, there's... Oh, how do you stop cats? I mean, really... Okay, well, I, I, electronic... I, I did some... Uh, trials? I, I did some trials some years ago for, uh, for one of the gardening magazines and the only thing that uh, worked and the only thing... If anybody asks me... If, if, I'm, if I get an email at home from somebody and they say, what do I do to get rid of cats? There is only one thing that I recommend... And it's an electronic cat deterrent. 
but it is a specific electronic cat, cat deterrent because most of them are, are don't work as well as this one. And because yes, the sonic sound is too diluted across the well, range, whereas the cat one is pure cat. Well, this is it? cat. Cat Watch is the product. Yeah. It's made by a company called Concept Research. And basically, it, it, it only switches on when the cat triggers it. So uh, it, it's used as a cat training device. The RSPB do it to protect birds from cats. Um, oh. And it has a, its output of ultrasound is tuned directly to the cat's hearing range. All okay. right. They're right, about fifty. Yeah. They're oh, about good, they're about good. fifty-five quid. But if you you know if you right. want to if you want to get rid of your cats, that's really to my mind the only thing that works. Uh, I am going to Diane from Billericay, and we'll try and fit in Anne from Thundersley very quickly in the last four minutes. But Eric sent us a plant uh, and a letter and a letter. Thank you, Eric, for your letter and sample. You're worried at what the plant is, but basically. It's a clematis, it's a isn't clematis, it? Yeah. And it actually it looks quite like a, a a normal clematis. Could be one of the well, it had flower buds. It's got flower buds, can and, and they were quite small flower buds, and they were in bunches. So I think it's possibly a Montana. Montana type. Yeah. So they are. Thank you very much for your letter. Uh, let's go to Diane from Bellaricky. Camellia question. Yeah. Hello, Ken. Yeah. Um, I've got two lovely pink camellias and I'll get some lovely flowers on it but they immediately fall off they don't die off they just fall off and they ended up all around the plant and someone told me it's a disease at the base of the plant uh, but I'm not sure what I can do to nah, don't think, no don't, don't think so Diane Where, uh, do you know what position you've got them in um, they're in a south-facing garden but they're over towards the east so they get they don't get much sun. They get a little bit of sun in the morning, but uh, oh, they get okay. sun in the morning. You've you've, give, you've given it away, Diane. They don't like, like early morning sun. It oh, it right. it affects the flower buds. Oh, okay. So and it affects them in various ways. So well, the the two things that cause um, flower bud or flower drop early is early morning sunshine, and also if they dry out the previous summer when they set their flower buds. So yeah, you do try and keep them well watered. It's up to all, end of August, isn't it? You have to keep them June well watered. To, June, June to the end of August, absolutely spot on. But, yeah, I, th so, but I, th um, I think it's in the wrong position. So I have to move them then, but it's probably a bit awkward to do that. Well, if you're going to do it... Uh, do it straight after flowering. After flowering or is the time to do it. Or when they've all dropped off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. okay, then. Thank you uh, very much. Okay, Diane. Sorry it's not good news for you. Um, hi, Ken. Well, it's better news than having a disease. Well, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Ken and Jeff. I would like to <clears throat> lift the crown on my white beam. I think it has been uh, in the ground for about five years and is approximately 10 foot tall. Can I do that now? It's just coming into leaf. Uh, I would say no. I'd say do, it's a bit late. do, do it, it in winter. Do it in the winter. So next winter for you and in Thundersley, um, we have a, a long one here, but I'll try and quickly read it. I would like to remove some suckers from my main Mahonia, uh, Oregon grape shrub, and replant them elsewhere in the garden where the main shrub is growing. There was an old apple tree which died about five years ago, and on the roots of the old tree... She, he thinks it's honey fungus, big darkish yellow fungus which seem to still be present in the soil as it comes back each year with lesser extent. Question is, uh, if he transplants the small Mahonia suckers, is there any way to ensure that he's not moving the fungus <clears throat> spores? No. <laughs> but the, but it, does, it doesn't spread by spores. It spreads by the, the rhizomorphs, the, the black bootlaces in the soil. So um, and if you, he, but if he's had that tree there and the, and the, not, hun 
Well, if the fungus has come up year after year after year and the tree is healthy, and that's the operative word, healthy, then it's not honey fungus. It's not, is it? Because the mahonia would have been killed as well, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So it's not honey fungus, don't panic, move them. Oh, well, we're not saying it isn't. We're just saying it it doesn't doesn't sound like honey fungus. Honey fungus, would, if it had been coming up year after year after year after year, would have probably either killed or seriously damaged the tree by now. And very, very quickly, I mean it. Container advice, um, it was in a windy position, container. What would you plant? What, for colour now? Yes, colour now. OK, dwarf, dwarf daffodils, um, primulas, heathers and fa- uh, winter flowering pansies. And that would give a lovely show and a bit of colour as well, Lots it? of colour. Lots of colour. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the gardening advice, tips and events, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go. Just visit the BBC Essex website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Every Saturday from 11.